This is E2B, Energy to Business, a podcast by Opportune, where we bring you in-house expertise that serves all energy sectors. We examine emerging financial and technology trends and provide a broad perspective on ways to stay ahead, create opportunities, and execute market strategies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of E2B, Energy to Business, an Opportune podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and folks, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the show as we continue to explore the hottest technologies, trends, and market-moving topics that are shaking the larger oil and gas and energy industries. As we jump into today's topic, which is going to be very macroeconomic in scope, I want to make sure that you're getting all of your uh, resources here to support our conversation, to give you uh, some more touch points, um, to understand the topic we're breaking down, but also to get some more E2B and Opportune content in general. So to do all that, head to our website, opportune.com. Again, that's opportune.com. There you'll find white papers, blogs research papers, articles, videos, podcasts, you name it, on a number of topics, including this one. You can also find episodes of E2B on our website, and you can find more episodes of E2B on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So just hit that subscribe button, and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations, plus notifications when we drop new episodes. All right, let's go ahead and jump into today's conversation point. So like we've done on the show before, um, Obviously, we have a great pool of thought leaders at Opportune. They have a lot of expertise, and they keep their ear to the ground and their eye to the skies, and they uh, are often the ones that are, um, you know, keeping the best pulse on what is shaking our industry and why it matters. So again, like we've done on the podcast before, we're going to be basically providing a, a podcast version or an expansion on an already existing article on our site. So I'll point you to our site. Uh, you're going to want to check out the article, The Fed's Fight Against Inflation, colon, is WTI Crude Oil Recession Proof? Question mark. This is by Ryan Dushek. And we're going to be expanding on this topic of inflation and of the macroeconomic consequences of inflation and some of the potential solutions on the larger oil market. If you haven't been paying attention or you have and you just want the refresher, Demand destruction has been the Fed's mission statement all year, right? That is the goal for the Fed when dealing with inflation. Uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell has said over and over that inflation must come down to 2%. U.S. CPI inflation was 8.3% in August, which means that, uh, you know, of the range of solutions available, the Fed's rather limited solution pool of monetary policy strategies are unfortunately going to keep up the pain for consumers and for businesses um, whose debt just got a lot more expensive um, as they continue to tackle this high level of inflation. And Powell is issuing warnings that this is just the beginning, right? We've already seen several interest rate hikes this year, um, but he's letting businesses, consumers, and investors alike understand. He's letting them know that rates will only keep increasing. Latest projections put the federal funds rate at 4.4% by the end of the year. And uh, that could reach as high as 4.6% by 2023. So now we got to intersect this with our audience here, right? What is this doing to oil markets? And how is this shaping the nature of inflation um, and oil prices as other supply side factors also compound and shock oil prices? So 
here for analysis. We're joined by the author of the aforementioned article, Mr. Ryan Dushek. He's a director at Opportune. Ryan, great to have you on, man. How you doing? Doing great. Glad to be here. Uh, great topic. Yeah. Oh, no. It's uh, it's one that I've been following more closely as of late. Um, in my own reporting, I have been um, you know, trying to keep a pulse on some macro trends, which includes, you know, the Jackson Hole Symposium, the various interest rate hikes and some of the proposed policy solutions and how they impact uh, business demand. Um, but all of that to say, yes, very interesting topic. A lot of layers here. So just for a little more context before we get into conversation. And again, I encourage our audience to crack open that article. The Fed's fight against inflation is WTI crude oil recession proof. Um, it'll give you some great visuals and um, more context to follow along. So yeah, what a year it's been for the U.S. economy, right? Last year, the Federal Open Market Committee gave a pretty picturesque view of the economy. They said inflation was, quote, transitory. It would likely fall to 2% in 2022. Things are fine, right? We're coming out of the um, the COVID pandemic, and you know we are on a recovery path. Well, fast forward to today, and unfortunately, that didn't come true. Uh, inflation is uh, over a 40-year high, and the FOMC is now playing catch-up with one of the fastest Fed fund rate increases on record, subsequent increases, right? On the 21st, the Fed raised its interest rate by uh, 75 basis points for the third time this year, and uh, it reached a range of 3 to 3.25%. And like I mentioned earlier, Mr. Powell is signaling that more large increases are to come. So Ryan, let's get your analysis here. What went wrong, right? How could we go from things are fine we're going to fall to 2% in 2022 to now increase after increase after increase and a pretty uh, persistent high level of inflation. Thoughts? Yeah, it's uh, it's real interesting. Uh, kind of even going back last year, we did an article or, or I wrote another article and I called it hyperinflation. Um, it was actually for a different reason. It was because nothing was happening, right? No, <laughs> right. no rate cuts at all. I mean, just because of how picturesque they thought the economy was. So everything was just too good to be true. Um, we could tell at the time there's a lot of just commodity prices started to increase across the board. It wasn't any one thing. Um, and so you can start seeing cracks, you know, in the foundation, so to speak. Uh, it kind of really kind of all stems from just, you know, this is, Political, no matter if you want to say it or not, and I'm not yeah. saying it's Democrat or Republican, it's just really both. Politicians love to kick the can down the road. Uh, they, you know, no one wants to take responsibility for anything. Everyone wants to blame somebody else. So no one does anything. Um, so this really kind of, in my opinion, started back in a little bit 2008, uh, right after the credit crisis. Uh, the Fed had a plan, you know, we had the economies crashing, stock market crash. Uh, so everyone, what's going on, what's going on? Fed decides to inject um, money, stimulus into the economy, uh, lower rates, make things more liquid, basically kind of jump-started, if you will. Uh, so that started, they had kind of one round of, of quantitative easing, injected a couple trillion. Um, then they had a second and third round. Uh, and, and really that kind of continued all the way through 2014, uh, 2015. Uh, so rates are lower, easy money, uh, people are spending. Uh, the plan was originally to take some of that back out of the system. 
so they started to do that around 2018. Uh, had a bump in the road, didn't know exactly how much liquidity they would need. Uh, so they had a few problems, the market started collapsing, so they went back in. Um, and then to make things worse, shortly on the heels of that, we had COVID coming around. Um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, more money into the system. Uh, so it just, it's been just increasing. Uh, since I started in 2008, it's been, I guess, close to $8 trillion that they pumped into the system. So easy money makes things very cheap. And so prices were going up. Uh, and we just kind of saw that progress. Uh, COVID has some supplies issues across the board again, not just in energy. Um, so that led to some of the inflation as well. So it, it kind of, for the most part, put um, put the Fed where they are today, kind of between a rock and a hard place. And so um, if we kind of take that down the road a little bit further, it's, it's, it's back to the point now where, you know, they have to do something. Uh, you know, everyone wants to blame Powell for his decisions, but I don't actually see a lot of other decisions there, you know, other than maybe go slower. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's, a it's a tough call. I don't know exactly what numbers they're looking at, but overall, um, it, it's, it's a very interesting situation now. And it's come a long way in that one year period. And my views have changed a lot. Almost most of my views have changed a lot. Some of them, I still have the same outcome, but for different reasons now. So it's it's been interesting. Yeah, interesting. Um, definitely an understatement. Just with just so many layers that are you know uh, shaping, or that shape inflation or continuing to shape inflation. Uh, you know, I think it really, like you said, it puts the Fed in a difficult position because, you know, especially when so many of the uh, reasons why we have inflation are supply side, you know, monetary policy, demand destruction is not really going to fundamentally address those supply side issues. And so, you know, they can do what they can. Um, but, you know, then you weigh the consequences of, okay, we can continue to raise interest rates. Uh, but if that you know, ends up leading to record unemployment and a mass recession, was it worth it to curb inflation, right? And so you really are walking this tightrope. Um, and you just hope that the people passing the um, the policies have that in mind, and realize the consequences in one way or another. But one of the consequences that I guess you could say is somewhat of a silver lining, I guess, but that also creates some um, geopolitical uh, currency I guess challenges is that rapid increases in interest rates are strengthening the U.S. dollar internationally. Can you give our audience a, a little more perspective and context there on how the um, the dollar is correlated with? Well, first, if you could break down why we see that, right? As interest rates increase, why does this even strengthen the U.S. dollar on an international stage? And then we'll start to bring in um, more perspectives on the oil markets. Yeah, so as a, the Fed's raising raising rates, it's basically what that's doing is making goods, U.S. goods, or any type of good denominated in the dollar more expensive. So as it's getting more expensive, specifically in this case, uh, like focusing on on WTI, crude oil is denominated in dollars across the globe. Um, 
so relatively speaking, we should have seen pressure on WTI. And to an extent we did for a while. So that was, it's been a real interesting, um, I guess, decoupling or at least temporary for now. At some point it'll kick back in. But um, the fact that as rates have been going up and crude oil is continuing to go up, um, there's a problem there. And so this tells me that it's specifically a supply side problem. And so if they can't do anything on the supply side, raising these rates really won't matter. Um, it'll, it'll at some point kill enough demand, but prices won't come down. So uh, that's one that I was looking at pretty closely because it was just a little backwards. It's just not what you were expecting. So kind of dancing around that supply side issue, uh, everyone's focused on demand destruction. And so no one's really paying attention to what's going on on the supply side. So that's kind of the wild card that we need to watch. Yeah. And I mean, let's just stay on that topic here for a second before we get into um, some of the oil uh, context and intersections here. Um, yeah, there are a lot of factors influencing supply, excuse me, influencing um, some of the supply side challenges, which include um, leaks, right? I guess like metaphorical leaks from the uh, from the COVID pandemic and its crisis and its disruption of supply chains and geopolitical relationships. Um, all of that is still being felt. Um, on top of that, you have sort of freak supply chain accidents like boats stuck in canals and ports on the coast of California being backed up for months at a time. Uh, even if that was months ago, reverberations from that are still being felt and still you know, um, increasing prices. We also see things like drought across the United States, uh, crushing yields, which are um, impacting the, the prices of fertilizer and the prices of feed, which then means we have higher meat and higher uh or excuse me higher prices for meat higher prices for crops uh all of that's contributing to inflation as well and then of course the big one is the ukraine russia conflict um which is creating a lot of um instability in europe but that is you know um leaking its way over into u.s markets which naturally also leads to inflation so that's my summary there. Did I miss anything? Is there anything, Ryan, that you want to add there? Or, you know, what should we be keeping our eye on supply side wise as we deal with, uh, you know, um, hike after hike after hike on the demand destruction side? Yeah, no, I think that's very, very accurate. Um, there's really two places that I think that we're going to see this inflation come from. There's one is on energy, uh, but the other one is, is it going to be food? Uh, those are really the two that are going to, uh, Americans are really going to feel the pinch. Uh, there's, like you said, there's cycles that, especially with, uh, or really with, with any of the commodities, but if you're talking about growing something, whether it's grain, uh, wheat, or even cattle, there's a, there's a cycle that everything goes through. Uh, so recently with the, we had the big drought. Farmers had a hard time finding uh, feed for the cattle. So all of a sudden, tons of cattle were going to market, prices get depressed. But again, that's going to be a cycle. So what does that mean for next year? So, you know, people sold more than they cared to this year, getting a worse price. Next year, they won't have as much to sell when the prices are better. 
So we know for sure, not a hundred percent, but my guess is that we're going to see a lot of a lot of the meats uh, prices go up. Really, all all the agriculture I think is going to go up. Um, I mean, there's just a series of events, and, and it's, you know, it's always like that perfect storm, where it's it's not just one thing, but it's kind of a trickle effect. It's like you push that first domino and then you see everything start tumbling down one after another, but that's going to occur. I'm confident in that. And that's actually some of the, the two things that I looked at specifically when I was trying to address, you know, how much, uh, what is peak inflation? Are we there? Is, is what they're saying real? So uh, that was all part of a, a much larger analysis that I, that I went through, but um I think it's definitely coming and I think you're spot on. So now let's bring in that oil angle here. Um, We've also been seeing some supply side challenges to, um, or I guess, you know, impacting oil pricing as of late. Um, Before we get into that, let's connect the dots between interest rates strengthening the U S dollar and then impacts on crude oil pricing. Can you explain to our audience how the dollar and its strength or weakness is correlated with crude oil pricing and what we can expect moving forward with that context in mind. Yeah, no, that's, um, it's really interesting uh, because crude is denominated in dollars, it should be getting cheaper right now. So as the Fed's hiking these rates, that pressure on the dollar, that stronger dollar, relatively to, to other countries not denominated in dollars, USD, everything will be more more expensive. Uh, so there should be an overall global uh, decline in usage, you would think. Uh, and so normally, like we've seen specifically in the 80s was a really uh, probably a clear cut example when the dollar was extremely strong and then crude oil was about what, 10 bucks or something. So extremely low. Uh, so that relationship does exist. It will exist um, and it just, decoupled, at least for a little bit right now. Uh, we did see the crude oil come off some after pandemic, but it's it's still, it's doing what it shouldn't be doing. <laughs> and in the midst of everything that's going on, and I think most traders or crude traders are worried of kind of two things, right? So one is they want to be positioned for the next political disturbance, right? So if something goes on with Russia, Ukraine, they want to be positioned to take advantage of higher prices that result from that. But on the other side, they're also trying to be as nimble as possible possible because every time they, the rates go up, there's a better chance that the stock markets, the equity markets, the debt markets, really, there's a fairly good chance at this point that we might see more of a collapse kind of across the board. Uh, so you know, it's, it's kind of, you're really kind of walking a tightrope. Do I worry more about the supply side? Do I'm worried about demand. And just because of everything that's been going on, demand's taken center stage. Um, any supply issues we have, they'll, it won't be addressed quickly. Um, I mean, a lot of that is, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that as well. A lot of it's just coming from just policies, right? We, uh, Biden administration took over. Energy was not as sexy, if you will. <laughs> sure. Uh, so a lot of the uh, policies that were put in place kind of dampened that, changed the rules in the middle of the game, if you will. Uh, so 
anytime we see something going on, I don't think you're going to see that quick of a response from from producers uh, just because they're weary. Like, you know, well, what's going to be the next thing? You know, if I start spending money deploying capital, am I going to get my return on that or not? Or, or are we going to just say, oh, you know what? We're good again. We're just going to slow down. Can't do it anymore. Um, I mean, there's other things as well, like the ESG initiatives. Those are, um, they're basically a tax, right? I mean, it's just, none of it's going to make anything cheaper, but it will make everything more expensive. So that can't help in any way the inflation problem. Um, and I think at some point, you know, it'll break. The system's going to break and people are going to realize, like, do I really need to pay f- for all of these costs associated with what I want to buy? And then I guess my favorite one most recently is the strategic uh, po- uh, petroleum reserve. So, you know, let's artificially lower prices. We'll dump a ton of crude on the market, lower prices, and then we'll all be better. Uh, you know, I think it was just two days ago uh, after they've already made the largest pulls ever by any president. I think we're at the lowest levels ever at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, they said, no, we're, we're done. We're not going to do it anymore. And yesterday, they kind of reversed that after OPEC said, you know what, we're going to cut our production. So we have a lot of things leading to higher prices. And all we need is a spark. I think we're just kind of at that point right now where a little spark will go a long way. I, think I, I wrote this article like a week ago, and I think prices were 78 bucks at the time. Right. Uh, today, they closed at uh, like 89 bucks right now. So uh, what a difference a week makes. Uh, so we're, we're seeing that already coming through. That, that is a very tight supply picture. Um, you know, I don't know how you rein in those prices without addressing supply issues. And I'm a little concerned that we have this kind of two different views. Powell has one objective and then the administration has another objective and they're right. competing. That's kind of the biggest issue they're just competing with each other well and you you brought up opec plus and it's um you know cutting of uh i think it was two million barrels right is that the final number yeah two million. Um, yeah yeah two million barrels being cut um in production to uh, bolster falling prices if you had to look ahead and sort of weigh the uh you know I don't know, at least just over the next few months, the implications of that production cut coupled with low strategic reserves, coupled with, you know, X, Y, and Z, all the other factors we broke down today. Um, You know, what can we expect to see in the coming months heading into 2023 concerning crude prices? Again, especially with some of these um, significant production cuts. Yeah, maybe this is kind of bring it all together as well, because, you know, a lot of what I looked at was the end game was to look at What's going to happen to crude? Uh, you know, we're going up, we're going down because it's just in that that kind of cross currents between everything. And so with the Fed moving the dollar, I really wanted to say, OK, let's say the dollar continues to go up, which I believe it will. I'm thinking it'll probably the dollar index is what I'm looking at. I think it'll probably crack 120 or so. I think it's about 114, 115 now. It's already had a huge run up. Um, and so if if I think it's going to hit 120, 122, whatever my target is, uh, I was really curious as to see, well, based on what's happening in the market today, as this dollar is getting stronger, crude's getting stronger, uh, inflation is up, we're trying to tamper that down. I, I basically, very curious, so I modeled it out. I said, let's simulate this. Let's figure out what's going on. So I 
kind of built a model around the CPI data and I really wanted to see like, okay, what would it take? Is it possible to get to that uh, kind of 122 on the dollar index, which let's see what inflation level would look like if that did occur. And so as I you know, run through a bunch of iterations and come out with uh, some results and, and I was actually a little surprised uh, because the end game was like, yes, we're, we can get there, but it wasn't like, hey, this is kind of a three sigma event. It was like, it's outside of normal, but it's really not that hard to get there from where we're at today. So that worried me a little bit. And so I, I really kind of broke it down and started focusing on food and energy specifically to see what would occur there. Uh, and that's real, really where the drivers were. And it's, uh, you know, the fact that it was very doable Overall inflation, uh, you know, they're, they're saying it's like 8.9%. I don't think we're there yet. You know, a lot of people said peak inflation, we're done. You know, market's going to be okay. I, I just don't think that's the case. I, I think we'll be, I think right now we're, we're beyond, even with their their own metrics, we're, we're beyond the eight and a half, nine percent 9%. And I think that next tick up, when that CPI comes out and, and we actually go above that 9% thresholds, really we're going to have a lot of problems. Um, but in the end, because we're not addressing supply issues, I think long term, you know, I think we could get all the way up to possibly 30 percent ish. Right. So um, which is, you know, going back and I don't think it's ever printed 30 percent inflation. But, you know, I don't think we've ever been in a situation like we're in now. So it's a it's a lot going on. It is feasible. And I, I think crude prices are going to go up probably sooner rather than later. Like I said, we've seen ten dollar increase in the last week. So I think short term, uh, by the end of the year, uh, probably over 100 by the end of the year, uh, potentially more if anything takes off geopolitically. Like I said, I think we're just we're set for that. But I, I honestly think we'll be at 180 bucks uh, probably first quarter next year. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all. And then, I mean, who knows from there at that point, you know, when you start getting to those extremes, those tail events that, you know, it's not a lot of difference between 180 and, and 250. I mean, it's just right. blink of an eye. So uh, I think we're definitely in for a world of hurt. Energy prices are going to be up to the winter. Uh, it's not going to be good for consumers. You know, it's going to be a rough, at least in my opinion, I think it's going to probably be a pretty rough, pretty expensive Christmas uh, time. And then hopefully it'll kind of wane a little bit, but um, I'm not painting a very rosy picture, but that's just kind of what I see today and just where we're at. So do you have any advice then or um, strategies for producers out there for our audience that, you know, has their hands in the uh, oil and gas uh, industry, whether it's on, again, the production side, the market side, uh, or they're, um, you know, listening in and they're recipients, right? Uh, they're in their energy intensive industries and oil prices are going to impact their energy bills. How do we maneuver this next phase and do you have any strategies again for the industry to um you know to sort of field or weather some of the potential consequences that might come from higher prices whether that's strain on some of their relationships their b2b relationships um again just general cost of doing business any thoughts there yeah i think higher prices are generally honestly good for the energy industry. Right. So our producers, oil and gas, uh, they're going to be just fine. Uh, they won't have any any issues, any concerns. <laughs> right. Uh, 
I mean, at some point, the administration or overall, there's going to be a change in view. You can't you can't say, you know, fossil fuels are bad and just end them today. Um, we've seen some of the effects of trying to bring on all the renewable energy at one time. You know, all of a sudden we had a great Texas freeze. You know, there's uh, I guess my favorite one is like you're looking at these hurricane impacts and all those trucks that they have going around there. That's not electric trucks. I mean, you still have a need for good old gasoline and gas powered uh, engines. So, you know, there's a time and place for everything. I just I don't think everything needs to be switched at one point, just at all at the same time. You just the system can't withstand that. Um, but so energy wise, I think higher prices be great. You know, producers will be uh, be wonderful. Now, some of the other ones, other uh areas like gasoline, you know, using crude as an input, those are going to be higher as well. And we have, we're kind of stuck with refinery. No new refineries are, are being built or have been built in quite some time. So expect higher gas gasoline prices as well, especially going into the driving season next summer. I, honestly, I, I kind of feel like it's going to be pretty much from this point all the way into the driving season, prices are going to continue higher. So as far as any other industries, airlines, for example, they're going to be a taker. Plane tickets are going to get more expensive. You're just going to see, you know, they're probably still reeling from COVID. And you see more and more people trying to jam on every every plane. But that's going to be another one you're going to see a lot higher prices on, just trying to be able to travel. Um, and again, like you were saying, natural gas is a big input for fertilizers. And so that's going to go into your higher cost of, of all the food as well. So it's just, it's all connected and it's all moving, unfortunately, in the same direction, which is up. Yeah. And like you said, um, higher oil prices will mean different things for different industries and even different segments of the um, larger energy uh, industry and oil and gas markets. So now we need to wrap things up by addressing what's to come a little bit more. In your article, you you know, you mentioned, uh, based on your analysis, that you don't even think we've seen peak inflation yet. This is something other economists are saying. And, um, you know, I think with the supply side instability we continue to see, whether it's geopolitical or supply chain related, uh, that this could very well be possible. The current 8.3, 8.5-ish percent inflation rate uh, could very well double, you know, to uh, beyond 20% which might seem a little inflammatory, but, you know, let's back that up, Ryan, with any analysis or perspective you can offer. Uh, you know, why do you believe we're not even really scratching the surface of the inflation that's to come here over the next year? And what are some of the broader Im uh, implications of that hyperinflation macro environment on energy prices and on our audience's industries? So, yeah, the 8.5%, I think most people are at least there's that feeling that that we're done, right? We, we ticked up a 9%, when we turn back down 8.5%, hey, inflation's over. Um, I don't think it's done. And a lot of that is just because of the, some of the analysis I, I did. And honestly, I'm just really curious. This is not part of my <laughs> normal uh, job per se, but really curious about what these impacts will be. And so I, I did a lot of modeling on uh, financial modeling Builds uh, some simulations to see what what could happen, and I focused on really just CPI and uh, kind of in a relative world, 
you know, with the rates increasing as fast as they do, the dollar strengthening as fast as it is, what type of uh, inflation would that be? Or what type of inflation would support that type of strength in the dollar? Uh, and that's really why I st start believing that, you know, this eight, eight and a half percent, that's not it. Like we're, it's, things are happening way too quick. And then there's going to be a huge lag by the time everything filters through. Um, but energy and then food were really the two drivers. Uh, those were the, between those two components of the CPI, that's how we can get there. And, and again, it goes back to really a supply issue. When no one's addressing the supply side, you're just, you know, it makes everything a lot worse because we're, you know, on one hand, we're killing the economy, you know, trying to bring, th bring that down. But on the other hand, we won't do anything about supply. Um, you know, it's not allowed. It's not, uh, uh, it's not convenient. You know, there's all these different reasons about why we don't want to do it. Uh, but if we're energy dependent, it solves a lot of problems. Uh, we just need to turn on the spigots again and, and get some oil flowing. I think that'll be a, the big key to kind of bringing this all down, but we're not there. We're, we're, it's a world of hurt still coming. So to leave things on an optimistic note, then <laughs> anything, anything we can leave, you know, uh, with, uh, giving our audience a sigh of relief, right? Anything that might encourage a little optimism, whether it's in, uh, you know, inflationary pressures, supply or demand side, or even just, uh, any of the silver linings on the consequences to the oil and gas market? Ooh, that's a tough one. I'm a, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tough to find optimism. Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty. I'm just pretty bearish overall on on everything. It's just uh, yeah. there's so many there's so many signs in the economy right now that, and it's not just energy prices. It's just across the board, and um, there's a lot of things I worry about with uh, just the financial systems strained. You're seeing derivative uh, problems in in these very large banks. And so generally, if you see a derivative problem in like a Credit Suisse, for example, there's, they have counterparties to that, right? So some other bank is getting affected. And that anytime you're dealing with this massive amount of derivatives, all these players are all linked. So truly, you have a domino effect if one goes down. So for me, I think the one bright side would be uh, if you like Bitcoin, I think that this might be the point where Bitcoin decouples from being a... Uh, a tech company or trade like a tech company. Uh, if you have some uh, issues with the banking system, that might be the next time that, because Bitcoin can basically step in and, and solve a lot of those problems. Uh, so if you're bullish on Bitcoin, that might be the one area that uh, positive news. <laughs> Other than that, I'm, I'm really struggling for something. <laughs> hey, well, then I think, uh, you know, our audience should, heed these warnings right and um understand that the macro economic environment is very unstable right now and there are a lot of competing forces that are trying to stabilize it in their own direction and you know under assumptions of what they think is going to be best for uh, you know financial markets for corporate stability um and that could mean costlier goods could mean higher unemployment well, could also mean, uh, you know, producers get a, a higher chunk of change as oil prices tick up, right? So there's going to be a mix of consequences here, but that instability, uh, you know, in the long run, we should be keeping our eye to it and hoping things stable out 
soon. In the meantime, Ryan Dushik, director at Opportune, thank you so much for your perspectives today. Again, I'll point our audience to the article that this conversation was inspired by. It's by Ryan Dushik. It's titled, The Fed's Fight Against Inflation. Is WTI Crude Oil Recession Proof? A lot of great graphs there. Um, and as Ryan explained, uh, you know, even since this was published to today's conversation, uh, oil prices are already um, fluctuating a lot. So it, I definitely also encourage our audience to keep their own eye to things and respond accordingly because who knows, you know, in a week's time, things could be very different. So again, Ryan, thank you so much. Uh, if folks want to find out more about some of your research or your perspectives here, how can they follow along? How can they get in touch? Uh, opportunity.com is the way to go. Uh, that's one-stop shopping. All the articles are there, any contacts you need, um, or you can look me up on LinkedIn. Reach out anytime. Easy enough. I love it. Ryan Dushik, thanks again for your time. It's been a pleasure. Great. Thank you. Pleasure being here. And thank you everyone for tuning in to today's episode of E2B, Energy to Business, an opportune podcast. If you like what you heard today and you want previous episodes, make sure that you're heading to our website, opportune.com again opportune.com make sure you're also subscribing to e2b energy to business on apple podcasts and spotify so you don't miss out on any future episodes and so you can peruse some of our previous conversations i'm your host daniel litwin the voice of b2b and we'll catch you on the next episode of e2b e2b